0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. I remember when I was learning to drive and I was talking about car accidents and collisions to my dad who works for the Michigan Department of Transportation. And he said, there's no such thing as an accident. And what he meant was that calling something an accident implies that it happened randomly, by chance. It's kind of a way of shrugging your shoulders, uh, maybe taking the blame off of you and softening the reality, softening what actually happened. Of course, uh, when I crashed my car a couple years later, they didn't stop me from calling home and saying, Mom, Dad, I had an accident. We view life in a similar way sometimes, Uh, especially when problems and difficulties and sorrow happens. We try to minimize difficult and painful things and and talk our way around it. We say things like, well, there's a silver lining to everything. And when some evil happens, we, we view it as an accident. It wasn't supposed to be this way. We call this a theology of glory. It's a way of looking at things, a way of approaching Christianity and life in general that that tries to push suffering or crosses to the side and and tends to believe that, that if God gives me anything, it should be happiness. And at the heart of this is the belief that suffering shouldn't happen, especially if God exists. You hear it all the time. If God were real, he wouldn't allow this evil to happen. Or the, the flip side of the same coin, you hear it from uh, prosperity, name-it-and-claim-it preachers uh, that, that talk about uh, how God doesn't re- let real Christians suffer. If you only have enough faith, you can name it and claim what God is going to give you. That's ridiculous. So, when real suffering inevitably does happen often then we can be led to believe or misbelieve that either God doesn't exist, or perhaps worse, that I've been rejected by God. However, the correct theology is a theology of the cross. Theology of the cross acknowledges suffering and actually has a place for suffering. Martin Luther once said that a theologian of the cross Paul's a thing that it actually is. So a crash is a crash. Evil is evil. If something hurts, it's not just okay. It hurts. In our gospel lesson, a woman is facing a very difficult trial. Her daughter is being tormented severely by a demon. Now Jesus and his disciples are traveling through the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a, a, a region heavily populated by Gentiles. And this woman was a Canaanite, so not only a Gentile, but the Canaanites were enemies of the Jews. And so this woman has two strikes against her. First, she's a Canaanite, and a Canaanite just wouldn't approach a Jew. And second, she is a woman. In those days, a a woman had no right to approach a teacher. She goes to Jesus, goes up to him and calls out and says, Have mercy on me, and lays the situation at Jesus' feet. Jesus, however, does something that, well, it doesn't seem very Jesus-y. It's not the Jesus we know. He doesn't say anything. doesn't even acknowledge her. Just silence. Silence? Silence from God? Why? Her, her mind must have been racing, is this not the man whom I've heard great things about? And why would he be so willing to help everyone else? but not me. We might ask, why? Why is Jesus silent? Just as we might ask, why? When it seems that God is seemingly silent to our prayers. And why really is a great question. The theology of the cross acknowledges suffering and is a way to understand it through the cross, through Jesus' own suffering. But that doesn't mean we we always have some pat answer to suffering or that we can always understand the reason behind everything. Struggling with why is at the essence of trial. And that trial is struggling with God. Asking God why. And this is sobering. Because we expect that we're going to struggle against the devil. We know that the devil's already been defeated. We expect that we're going to struggle against the world, and everything the world throws at us. We expect that we're going to struggle with our own sinful flesh and the temptations that we encounter. But we don't expect that we have to struggle with God himself. And yet, in Scripture, we see that the fiercest struggles are with the Lord himself. Jacob wrestled with God. Abraham struggled with God's seemingly contradictory command. Uh, to, to, when he was told to sacrifice his son. This woman is no less struggling with Jesus. Why is Jesus silent? Was it that she might have her faith tested to grow stronger? Uh, was it for those people around her that, that, that they might see her faith? Maybe. We don't know. But perhaps also, Jesus is giving her an opportunity to be honest about who she was. She called out, Lord, Son of David. She uses a Jewish title, this Canaanite woman uses a Jewish title for Jesus, possibly trying to minimize who she actually is, giving the impression that she was one of the Israelite people with at least some right to access Jesus by, by who she was. But she's not fooling anybody. And any Jew hearing or seeing this would have said, much like you're still here today among different groups of people, oh, her, her daughter's sick, oh, her daughter's got a demon, wonder what she did to deserve that. She's just one of those people after all. Those Canaanites are, are always making poor decisions and getting themselves into trouble. They do it to themselves in the first place. She should be able to get himself out. She's not worthy of God's help like we are. Jesus, send her away. And that's exactly what the disciples say. It is a classic theology of glory to believe that because of the law, by the law, I am worthy of good things, but that others, because of what they do or don't do, aren't. But this woman doesn't let the silence or her thoughts deter her. And she keeps calling out finally, after the disciples are fed up with her, they come to Jesus and ask him to send her away. Jesus answers with the law, but he takes it to the highest level because no one's going to be justified by the law. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt in front of him saying, Lord, help me. This isn't just asking anymore. This is worship. She falls down face to the ground and worships Jesus. And the only words out of her mouth are probably all that she could manage. Lord, help me. And then, Jesus seemingly gives the most unexpected and harsh answer of all. He says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I've heard, of other, I've heard other sermons where, where they try to minimize and soften what Jesus is saying here. Well, he calls her a little dog. Dogs are cute. But there's no softening what Jesus is saying. Jesus is calling this woman an ethnic slur. We have other words for this today, not fitting from the pulpit. The first time you read this, maybe the first couple of times you read this, this is offensive, incredibly offensive, un- until you realize what it is Jesus is actually doing. Jesus is teaching the disciples and us where God's mercy comes from. It doesn't come to us by what we do or or don't do or by who we are. And Jesus is showing to us what great faith looks like. He's been forsaken and rejected by God. And he says, such a trial comes only to the greatest of saints. Ironically, the greatest of trials, Luther views, are reserved for those with the greatest faith. And what might be for many a a sign of spiritual failure, and of God's absence, for those with the theology of the cross, is not a sign of God's absence at all, but the opposite, God's presence and promise. So Jesus is teaching us to rely on his word and not on our feelings or or whatever it is we're experiencing in the moment. Faith is not mere superstition. It's not mere warm, fuzzy feelings, not not believing in him if we have everything going well for us and we have everything that we want. Rather, faith is the gift that God gives you to be able to hang on to his every word to trust him when it feels like everything else is falling apart and to believe him despite all evidence to the contrary. Evident, or experience would have told this Canaanite woman that Jesus didn't care. He ignored her. He, he tells her he wasn't sent for her, and then he calls her a dog. Experience would have told her that God didn't care. Experience would tell her just to give up and go home. But she doesn't. Listen to what she says Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She is a true theologian of the cross. She calls the thing that it actually is. She's a dog, a Gentile dog, not one of the sheep of the house of Israel to whom the Lord was sent to first. But that even the dogs, while they don't get to eat first, still get to eat the scraps. That, that, that fall from their master's sable, they still get, get to eat the crumbs. She finds a yes hidden in the no. Or the apparent no. Luther is so great on this text. In, in his sermon, he says, she catches Christ with his own words, and he is happy to be caught. Very well, she says, if I'm a dog, I ask no more than a dog's rights. I'm not a child, nor am I of Abraham's seed. But you are a rich Lord and set a lavish table. Give your children bread and a place at the table. I don't wish that, but let me, merely like a dog, pick up the crumbs under the table, allowing me that which the children don't even need or ever miss, the crumbs, and I'll be content. So she catches Christ the Lord in his own words, and with that wins not only the right of a dog, but also that of the children. This is what great faith looks like. Great faith holds Jesus to his word, as this woman did. Great faith holds Jesus to his promises that he made me. His promise that he made me in in baptism to, 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 to daily rise and live a new life in view of the resurrection of the dead the promise that he continues to give me in his holy body and blood to strengthen me and keep me in the one true faith to life everlasting, nothing will be able to separate us from God's love. Jesus said to her, Woman, your faith is great. It will be done for you just as you desire. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. What Jesus does is revolutionary. He includes this Gentile Canaanite woman in the house of Israel. She's not a dog. She's God's own child. This woman didn't have much, but she had the one thing that mattered, the Word of God. At some point, she had heard something about Jesus, maybe not much, maybe just a crumb of information about this Messiah, but she heard it and believed it and hung on to it despite everything else She experienced, and through that word, she trusted that the scraps that fell from the master's table would be enough. May we hang on to this too. St. Paul says in Romans 8, For I conclude that our sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. If this woman, with her great faith, is content to fill up with uh, with some scraps that fall from the master's table... How much greater will the feast in heaven be at the table? And there, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. We won't need to minimize or soften anything anymore because there won't be anything to minimize. We'll see things with our own eyes as they actually are. For now, may God give us the faith to trust the crumb of promise in His Word. In Jesus' name. Amen.